A few years ago, I was very interested in Duck Dynasty. I loved to see Willie and Uncle Cy and, and, and Jace and, and all the things they were doing. They, it's a fam, based on a family that makes duck calls. And because the patriarch made a really good duck call, the family rose to uh, be in a really good financial situation. They're very well off. And so we get to see the antics of the Robertson family each episode of Duck Dynasty. Uncle Si always has a sweet tea, and Willie is always trying to give his tidbits of wisdom that we might ask, are they really wise or not? And Jace is always just trying to get to Willie. It's a great, uh, great dynamic between the people in the family. But if you follow Duck Dynasty, then you probably know that sometime as the series was going on, accusations of false situations came up. People were like, well, this didn't really happen, or they went back and they reenacted situations and embellished them a bit for TV. And so suddenly, the people who were so concerned about having this great reality TV show were worried about a false reality. And as I was talking with the children this morning, we need to recognize that the Bible presents one reality and the world presents another. So which one is the false reality? Which one are we living in? Are we living in an alternate reality? This morning, we're, gonna, we're just going to drill down and see what an identity with Christ actually means. We're going to stick with Galatians 2.20. That will be our primary text, just that one verse. And we'll see what happens when you identify with Christ, and we'll see what it means for you today, July 30th, 2017. And so to review from last week, we talked about how to make a fake ID. We saw that Peter was not associating with the Gentiles. He was causing division. And we recognized that we cause division, either through our preferences or through the way we describe ourselves. And we talked about those adjectives, whether they be positive or negative. They describe us and and they grab our attention. They call for our focus. It could be political, In Peter's case, it was Jew or Greek. In our case, it might be Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative. It could be preferential, what you prefer about something. It could be personal. It could be that you feel you're not good enough or that you're too good, that you're poor, that you're rich, that you're old, that you're young. Whatever your adjective is, we talked about how that can cause a division in the body of Christ. And we said that any division among Christians ignores the truth of the gospel. Any division among Christians ignores the truth of the, of the gospel. I mean, think about it. If Satan can convince you that the way you are different from somebody else is so major it has to impact your relationship with Christ and fellow believers, he's gonna attack that. He's gonna go after it. So any division among Christians ignores the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel is that we are all equal. We're all sinners. We all stand on a, on a level playing field before God Almighty. He said fake IDs harm Christian fellowship because with a fake ID, we don't remember that we have Christ in common. Instead, we have all these little things that drive us apart and make us feel like we have nothing in common. And so we said we must have our identity in Christ to enjoy the fellowship and Christian life that God has for us. And so this morning, we look at what happens when our identity is in Christ. So Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, 
but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So the first thing we see about an identity in Christ, the first thing we see about about living with Christ is our identity, is that the flesh is separated from who you truly are. If your identity is in Christ, your flesh is separated from who you truly are. We see that in the first part of this verse. Christian identity, Christ is my identity, identity in Christ, flesh, and faith are all big words we use in the church. Big meaning popular. We, we talk about them a lot, we hear them a lot, but I think this morning we're going to take some time to really define them and understand what they are. So flesh, flesh we're going to define as any desire that you have to call the shots. Flesh is any desire you have to call the shots. It could be where you live, where you worship, where you work, with whom you associate, how you associate with others, what you do, and even how you sin. There's different characteristics of the flesh. One is that flesh is physical. We saw this in Genesis, where we see you are now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh when Eve was created. The flesh is very physical. And so we have to recognize that there is a certain amount of frailty Involved. The flesh is fragile because it's not the part of you that lasts forever. Now, the Bible tells us we will be raised again when Jesus returns, but that will be perfected flesh. The flesh you and I are enjoying now is not perfect flesh. So, flesh is physical. Flesh is also selfish. In James 3, we see that jealousy and selfish, selfish ambition leads to discord. Again, James is talking about the division that comes from following the flesh, that selfish ambition, that greed that comes from following the flesh. You know, and because flesh is selfish, it's where we get our me first attitude, that attitude of what I want, my way, my desires, my thoughts, my opinions. It's why we get so bent out of shape when we don't get our way, because the flesh is selfish. And it's why I pursue things and relationships that the Bible says aren't good for me. If I'm just telling you about me, and I'm trusting it's true about you too, because my flesh is selfish, it's why I pursue things and relationships that I know are not good for me. The, the Bible calls this the lusts of the flesh. And that, that's what invites sin in. The lust of the flesh is simply getting what I want. Adultery, gluttony, pride, preferences. Peter wanted distance from those Gentiles. He had a desire to separate. A desire to separate. It was selfish. And not only that, but the, the flesh can't stand up to all the pressures we have, and it wants to give in. In fact, even Jesus himself said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In Mark, when he was praying in the garden and he came back and the disciples were sleeping, he said, spiritually, you know what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be staying awake. You're supposed to be praying. But the flesh is weak and you succumb to what it desires. And unfortunately, flesh is constantly longing for sin. The flesh is constantly longing for sin. We're not gonna read all these verses, but just Romans chapter seven really gives us a great picture of this. 
In Romans 7, verse 5, it tells us that the flesh is connected to sinful passions. In Romans 7, 14, it talks about the opposition between the spirit and the flesh. In Romans 7, 18, we see the flesh is against the spirit. In Romans 7, 25, it says the flesh is slave to sin. In Romans 8, verse 3, it says we can't do what we should do because of the draw of the flesh. And then in Galatians, back to the book we're in this morning, in chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then here it is. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. If we're going to take all of that, all that talk about what the flesh is, and boil it down to, to something kind of simple, I would boil it down to this. The flesh longs for the here and now. It has no focus on what God has promised for the future. The flesh longs for the here and now and has no focus on what God has promised for the future. Let's think about that with Peter again. Peter was in the here and now. He had the Jews and the Gentiles. But because he was in the here and now and not God's promised united body in the future, he was focused on Jews versus Gentiles. In the here and now, I may be focused on, on the way I talk or the way I look or whatever, and that keeps me from associating with other believers. Or I may be focused on my way of doing things, which causes me in my head to tell me that people that do it a different way are necessarily bad, and therefore I'm not going to associate with them. We focus in the here and now and not on what God has promised for the future. And if we're honest, how dumb is that? How dumb is that? If we think of all the things in this world that make us say, what in the world is going on? And yet we long for the here and now. We're missing something. We are missing something. We must long for God's promises for eternity. Because if we want to get real practical about this, if we're focused on the here and now, then all we're focused on is our sin. And if we're focused on our sin, knowing what we're doing, and yet we come to a place like church, but we're living in sin and we know it, then all we're going to try to do with God is not worship him, not give him adoration and praise. We're going to try to impress him because we're feeling overshadowed by our sin. And so therefore, we feel the need to impress God. We can't do that. We cannot impress God. Because if we try to impress God, we're trying to be self-righteous, trying to make ourselves look good in front of God. And we know that's not the way it works. We're like a little kid who's covered in gunk and yet wants to look pretty. Earlier this week, I was outside and it was hot and it was humid. And when that combination comes, I sweat a lot. Laura doesn't want anything to do with me in those times. I can say whatever I want to. I'm still sweaty and gross. It's the same way with our sins. We're covered in gunk, and yet we want God to look down and say, wow, you're so beautiful. That's not the way it works. It's not anything we do. We can't convince him by any act of ours. Self-righteousness doesn't work. 
I want to read the message translation of this verse. It says, Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, a crucified flesh, if we're going back to this verse, for I am crucified with Christ, a crucified flesh means complete separation. Death always separates. Death always separates. That's why it's painful. That's why it's hard. There's always a void. That's the nature of death. And so if we say, I have been crucified with Christ, there must be a separation from the desires of the flesh. There must be a separation. We know the separation of death leaves a gaping hole in our past. But being crucified with Christ, instead of a gaping hole in the past, we have a gateway to a life that is lived by faith. And so the first thing we saw was that the flesh is separated from who you truly are when your identity is in Christ. But the second thing this verse tells us is that our faith is heightened. That other buzzword, that faith is heightened. And so to understand faith, we need to define it. Faith is God confidence. Faith is God confidence. Confidence that God is going to come through. It's not defining how he's going to do it. It's not defining when he's going to do it. But it's defining that he is going to come through. So if flesh is self-focused, self-confidence, it's focused on the here and now, faith looks ahead to what God will do with confidence. And we can have confidence in what he says because of what he's done. We have confidence in what God has said because of what God has done. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on Galatians says, because of this living union with Christ, so once I live by faith in Christ, the believer has a totally new relationship to sin. That void has been created. It is no longer what what draws our attention. The relationship is no longer to long for sin, but to long for the Savior. The relationship is no longer to long for the sin, but to long for the Savior. And whatever is true of Jesus then becomes true of the believer. Jesus is all about your future. You then become all about your future, living in faith for the future day when Christ is going to come back and we will be united with him. We will see Jesus face to face. And if that's the case, then faith empowers us to live differently. Faith empowers us to live differently. Confidence that what God says God will do empowers us to live differently. God's glory becomes the focus of my life. My contentment and my excitement for different things are no longer what drive me. Let's just ask the question, what would be different if you made the decision to have faith in Christ living in you? If you made the conscious decision this morning to say, I'm not going to live for my contentment, not going to live for my excitement, not going to live for my own desires, not going to live for the here and now, but instead live for Christ, how would your attitude about fill in the blank be different? Family, 
faith, church, your current life situation? How would your attitude about those things be different if we were living for Christ? And you say, well, that's hard to do. You know what it's like? Yes, I know what it's like out there. It is hard to do. So next question, what if you found somebody to help you with this? God placed us in Christian community not just to have potlucks, but to live together, to do things together, to support one another. Find a friend, a family member, a spouse, whoever. Somebody to help encourage you to live like Christ. And you'll see that he's starting to call the shots in your life. You'll do it less, he'll do it more. And you'll find that faith enables you to go against the grain. Faith enables you to go against the grain. Because if we're honest, some of us come to church because that's what we've been trained to do or told to do. But when we're around our peers, our family, or others, we don't show any indication of Christ in us. We don't show any indication of Christ. All that means is that we're living in here and now thinking. We're living by the flesh, not by faith. So how do we actually get past all that? We've defined flesh, living in the here and now. I want, I want to be satisfied. I want what I want. We've defined faith, confident living that God's going to do what he says he will do. But how do we actually do that? How do we reconcile that? Because that's the whole problem I've had as I've tried to think about Christian identity. It's like, okay, I can define it, but how do I actually live it? Well, the last part of the verse gives us great confidence. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And here it is who loved me and gave himself up for me. We are God-enabled to live by faith and not the flesh. We are God-enabled to live by faith and not the flesh. It says, he loved me and gave himself up for me. If he loved me enough to give himself up for me, then he loves me enough to live his life out in me. He didn't just die for no reason. He didn't just die to see you in heaven someday. He died so that you could live the rest of your life for him. And it leads us into verse 21, which says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Recognizing that there's a key word in here that we've got to address. We're confronted with that word grace. Grace. We can't live our life with an identity in Christ without being taken back there. Without thinking about this five-letter word that means so much to us as Christians. Because what grace is, is God looking down on that level playing field where we're all sinners, recognizing that none of us deserves anything he offers and he still stoops he still comes to our level he sent his son to live on this earth so that we could live in him Jesus understands you and me because of that grace he knows we're fleshly he knows we live by the flesh you say well how do I know that Jesus was in the wilderness he was tempted he was hungry he was tired He was tempted by pride. 
knowing that he could have called so many angels to save him if he would have jumped. He knows what it's like to be fleshly. But he also knows what it's like to trust in faith. Again, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, grace comes in and says, in spite of your fleshiness, in spite of your desire to call the shots, in spite of your desire to be in control and to have it your way, I am faithful. If you trusted me, I will be gracious to you as I live in you. I will be gracious to you as I live in you. So looking back between last week and this week, Paul took an everyday issue and he brought the gospel into the picture. Took an everyday issue, brought the gospel into the picture and changed the outcome. Peter was causing division among Christians, something that should never be. The gospel came into the picture thanks to Paul writing and correcting Peter and changed the outcome so that Jews and Gentiles could again associate. In other words, Paul brought a reality adjustment. Paul brought about a reality adjustment. So what everyday issues are we facing that we need to bring the gospel into? Because you see, when you bring the gospel into the picture, you're acting in faith and inviting the grace of God into that picture. In other words, you start living with Christ as your identity and you change the reality of your situation. Say that again. You start living with Christ as your identity and you start to change the reality of your situation. As Christians, we must constantly bring the gospel into the picture. That's our job. We have to change the reality of the situation. We go back to that story of the eagle from last week. I told you about this little eagle that was raised in a chicken coop after it was found abandoned. And that poor little eagle grew up, but he thought he was a chicken. And so he acted like a chicken. He pecked at the ground. He never soared on the currents of the wind until that farmer picked him up, took him to a mountaintop, and changed his reality. See, our reality as Christians is different than the rest of the world, but until we're willing to live in our true reality, we'll never expose the rest of the world to God's reality. It's so important for us to have our identity in Christ, not just because then we'll be humming hymns and and reciting psalms all day, but because we expose the rest of the world to the reality that God offers. So here's your application for this morning. Here's what you need to do. Make Christ your reality. Make Christ your reality. Live the life God intended for you by identifying with Christ. A couple ways you can do that. One, read your Bible. I say this one every time because it's so powerful. Read your Bible. James McDonald borrowed this quote from somebody else, so I'm not sure who gets the true um, attribution for this. But one of the great reasons to read your Bible is that if you don't understand the works of God, you won't know the wonders of God. And if you don't know the wonders of God, you'll have no reason to worship God. If it's hard for you to worship throughout the week and this is where where you worship, the only place you get it, try reading your Bible. 
The more you get to know about God, the more you'll understand about the wondrous ways of God. And you'll have a reason to worship. This past fall, we did a Bible study called Seamless for the Women. And those who did the work and, and studied and, and kept up with it were able to piece together the grand narrative of the Bible. For the children, we talk about the same thing, this grand narrative of the Bible. We call it the big God story. It's what God did back in Genesis, what he did all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, what he's doing today, and what he will do in the future. It's called the big God story. It helps you to understand the works of God so that you can know the wonders of God. Because when you know the wonders of God, you worship God. The teen girls are going through that this summer, a teen version of Seamless. And we're probably going to roll it out again and encourage those of you who didn't participate the first time because of schedule or whatever reason to join us again because it pieces the Bible together and you can see what God is doing. And when you know what God is doing, you want to worship him. Understanding what God has done, is doing, and will do enables your Christian identity. If you lack the faith, just study more about God. See what he's doing. Think about what he's already done in your life. So we read our Bibles. And the second way we make Christ our reality is we tell others about him. We tell others about him. We shouldn't be surprised when our families don't know about Christ if we haven't told them. Now, there are special circumstances where we have prodigal children and, and different things that lead people from God, and we pray for them. We genuinely pray for them. But if we want Christ to be our identity, to be our reality, but the people around us don't know about Christ, it's going to be really hard to make him our identity. I close with a story about how this actually happened, how it worked out with somebody who was in a, in a place of great power, Chuck Colson. Many of you probably have heard of him. He was one of Nixon's hatchet men in the Watergate scandal. He was deeply involved in it, and he was sent to prison but while he was in prison, he became a Christian. When he became a Christian, he changed his identity to Christ. Christ became his identity. When he got out, he started a ministry called Prison Fellowship. And thousands and thousands of inmates have come to know Christ because of this ministry. Now he's also started a ministry called the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, where he doesn't focus just on prisons anymore. Instead, he helps people like you and me Understand what's going on in our culture from a Christian perspective. When you understand what's going on in your culture from a Christian perspective, you are therefore enabled to live a Christian life, to lead in a Christian identity. And so because Chuck Colson found his identity in Christ, he was able to live by faith, no longer following the desires of the flesh. He lived by faith. He made Christ his reality. He read his Bible. He learned a whole lot about God. He told others about him. And now he's impacting thousands and thousands, even though he's dead. He passed away a few years ago, but he continues to make an impact because Christ was his identity. When your identity is in Christ, the flesh is separated from who you truly are. Faith is heightened. Faith is, is, is what calls you, what draws you, because you have a confidence in what God will do. And that affects your decision-making. And you are God-enabled to make Christ your reality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
There are so many things that call to us. Some of them are good things. Some of us we know are bad. But you call us not to be driven by them, not to be driven by the flesh, but to be driven by who you are, by what you've promised, to have faith, confidence in what you will do so that we can make Christ our identity and and let that be a beam of light to the world that directs them to you through us, through our faithful living instead of our fleshly desires. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this text. And I just pray that as we've listened, as we've heard, as I've heard you speak through it, we would be willing to identify with you and turn away from those fleshly desires that that just call us away and distract us from your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.